Welcome in. It is the Bill Michaels Show. I am Ben Kenny. He is Grand Bills. Bill is off today, back tomorrow throughout the week as we get ready for the Packers season. The preseason has concluded. They went one and two, though we're not talking about the results. Uh, a lot of stuff to get to from what we saw on the field. Joining us now to talk more about it, Green Bay Press Gazette. It is Eric Baranchek. Eric, happy Monday. Oh, it is a Monday, isn't it? Holy smokers. It'd be nice if, uh, it'd be really nice come uh, two Mondays from now when there's a big pack of victory, but we'll take today, I guess. We'll deal with it. Right. I At least we get to revel in, hopefully, a Wisconsin victory against Illinois State on Saturday. Have a have a warm-up victory Monday before we really get into yeah. it. Uh, I wanted to ask yeah. you first, we started the show with it. It's been probably the biggest topic of the preseason. What did you see from first Jordan Love on Thursday, and what do you think we learned about him throughout this preseason? Well, you know, thanks for asking, Peyton. Um, I'm glad to be on your show today. Um, I guess when I look at it, it's, you know, it's kind of a progression. The, the sad thing about about the Jordan Love story as it is right now is, you know, the first year there was zero preseason games. You know, it was the COVID year there, and that was that was difficult. And last year there was the injury in preseason, um, and people think, oh, you got all this time in practice during the season, and how come there's not there's not a whole lot of development time going on there? It's pretty much we're prepping for for the next the next opponent, and uh, so some of the development stuff has to take place in the off season and uh, during preseason. And a couple things that that I really thought was different this year was it seems like the game kind of slowed down to him a little bit. And, you know, the first, first time we saw uh, Jordan Love last year, I thought, you know, the, the throws weren't confident. They were kind of wobbly. Um, just didn't look very sharp. But by the end of the, by the second quarter uh, of the Kansas City game, I mean, you saw Bart, the balls are coming out of there on a dart. You saw his footwork has much improved. Being able to hit uh, some of the really the, the throws that appear really easy, uh, like a back in the flat, that's a tough throw. You got to throw across your body, and your, and your footwork's got to be in place to put that ball in the right spot so they can catch it and make a move on the ball instead of having to just throw all their effort to trying to get to the ball because it's off target. So um, it, it's that kind of stuff. It's the it's the smaller things that are starting to to elevate. Um, will come up a little bit. So those are the things that I'm really uh, excited about with Jordan Love. And, you know, um, you got to remember he's a three-year guy at this point and pretty much had like a, you know, one-and-a-half preseason. And so I, I think there's enough there to be be uh, confident about is, you know, at least probably get you through if there's a big injury to uh, Aaron Rodgers or you can get you through some games and you're not going to just mark them all as L's on your chart. Is there something that you wanted to see Jordan Love do that you didn't? Like, what can Jordan Love still show as a backup without getting more playing time, without taking over as the starter? What can he still improve on, and what can he still show you that you're looking for? Well, he's got to be able to uh, – he's got a little bit of a penchant to, to throw the ball in, in some spots that probably aren't really sharp. Um, so he's got to clean some of that up. And I think once you get that stuff on tape, and they're watching it, and they're you know they're watching the video of it. They can coach them through that kind of stuff. Um, and the decision making there, and, and you know what, get confidence. You know, early in the game, sometimes you you have the tendency to be a little bit 
um, conservative. And, and I guess where I would like to see him do, there are some, there are some opportunities on uh, Thursday night against the Chiefs on third down primarily where he could have made some different throws, um, but just didn't have the confidence to make them. And I, I think that those are some of the things that I'd look for him to improve upon and probably clean up a little bit of his, uh, his footwork stuff. But I think all in all, he's, he's taken some enormous strides in his game. I'm with you. Eric Baranchek joining us, Eric at Eric Baranchek one on Twitter of green Bay press Gazette. I want to switch over to what we saw from the rookies or a bunch of the young guys that some of whom we'll see out there with the starting group, some of whom we won't. What have you seen uh, both on Thursday and throughout the preseason from the two first round picks, Quay Walker, uh, who showed out a bit, and then also Devontae Wyatt? Let's start with Walker. I thought he, um, boy, his from from week one to week three of the preseason, you saw um, the maturity level of a young man who, who really starts to slow down. Like that first game, you, you got to kind of throw that out the window. I think a little bit with especially high picks because there's a lot expected on them. Uh, when you're playing linebacker in the NFL versus playing linebacker at at most collegiate levels, there's a lot more thought process that goes in between every single play, you know? So these, these teams line up and you're thinking, okay, they're in this formation. I got this play, this play coming at me. Also they move, uh, uh, you hear an audible, you, you, the read that the looks that you're seeing in front of you. I got a lineman with, with a heavy hand, uh, and motion my way. Holy cow. I'm not, I wasn't expecting, I'm probably going to get this now. So a lot of those things change. And not only that, you have to understand the coverages. So the people go in motion, Okay, now my coverage, what are my rules? I got to be thinking about my rules because they're probably different than they were at Georgia. Okay, so tight end motions away. I got back to the back out of the backfield or I got a hook curl zone or all those different things come into play. And so you don't always play as fast as you want. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. You think you just line up there, especially on defense, and it's just, you know, pedal to the metal. And it's not that. There's so much mental part, especially at this level, that changes. Uh, and it can change play to play to play and a couple times within the play uh, before the ball snaps. So there's a lot of thought process there. But what you saw is you saw his speed takeover um, last week, and you saw the, his ability to close on a, on a running back out of the backfield. You saw he did not look uncomfortable um, dropping into a hook curl zone or, hook, or to the flat. So I think a lot of those things, um, you know, if you ask him to run with a tight end, I think he can do it. Um, probably needs to be a little bit more physical at the point of attack. But all in all, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for what this young man has to offer. Um, now the other first round pick, not so much, uh, of the, you know, my thought, first thought process was, okay, we're going to see some, you know, one of the things coming out of the college, if you read his, his, uh, notes in the draft was that he had a really quick first step that he was fast off the ball and a decent pass rush. And none of those things surfaced. Uh, I thought he was slow off the ball. I did not like his hands. I didn't like his, you know, he seemed to, as the play develops, he seemed to get high and then he gets pushed around. So not indig- not 100% um, unexpected for a first for a first year player, but maybe a, a first round draft pick. Not quite sure that he's showing the stuff that uh, uh, would I would give him a first round grade. But again, it's early. Uh, we don't know all of the mental stuff that maybe it's just slowing him down and he's not confident. And not saying he doesn't have the abilities, but the things that 
you were looking for, especially the first, I mean, who might have been the slowest guy off the ball every game he played uh, versus the guys that he was playing with at, the, at that time. So um, I, I think some of it, is, is, you know, especially you look at the Slayton at number 60, you look at him coming off the ball, who's a, what is he, like a three-year player? Uh, I think he's only got a one-year designation, but I think he's been in the league for three years, and that guy coming off the ball, you see heavy hands. Uh, you know, some of that, he just has looked more more comfortable, more, com- more, more confident, where, uh, you know, Wyatt was slow off the ball. That first step was, was like in molasses, which is what we were expecting. Yeah, I wasn't very Im- impressed by Wyatt at all. I, it's good that, obviously, he doesn't need to step in and start week one. Are you, when you look maybe more long-term, because uh, this defensive line is quite loaded this year, and are you raising much concern about what you saw or, I guess, the lack thereof from Wyatt? Well, you know, again, let's, let's look back here. Um, you know, you look at Rashawn Gary. His first year, he did. He looked, you know, nothing like he looked like in college, right? You know, he was able to maybe take on a double team, and he was okay with, with, with a rip, but feet looked sloppy and all over the place. And now he's developed into someone that's probably, you know, he's got it. He's got to be mentioned in the top 10 for sure as pass rushers and edge players. Um, you know, can Wyatt take that, a similar track like that? You know, it remains, remains to be seen, but that's what you're looking for is, okay, when is that first step going to come back? Is it, is it that he's just so much overwhelmed mentally that, you know, the first step, might be the first that's one of the first things that suffers but at some point uh what you're looking for him to do is just fire off the ball with reckless abandon and you know get in get his hands inside and, and try and stay low and trust his reads um and everybody goes through a process like that that's that's a little bit different for everybody but my guess is, is, is that uh you know there's a lot he's swimming a little bit and, and some of those things will start to kind of settle down once he gets more comfortable with, with what's going on in front of him we're talking with eric Branchek. Eric, part of the Packers discourse, I think, for the last 10 years or so on Bill's show and just sports talk and writing at places like Press Gazette, we've been dying for inside linebackers, been dying for depth on the defensive line, and we've been yelling about it as fans for the last 10 years. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at this roster, they have a ton of defensive line depth, and they have three or four inside linebackers that I love, and these are two positions that the Packers have neglected or just not valued for years what makes this team different? Like what happened? Cause you look at this roster, this is a complete 180 from what we're used to. Well, they made a, a concerted effort to get bigger, faster, stronger up front, you know? And I think the, you know, the, you know, Devondre Campbell, you know, he's kind of someone that kind of fell on their laps. I mean, a good job at the scouting department there to get that guy in uh, who was hungry and thirsty for, um, for success and, and found his way to stay healthy and make it through the season and look really awesome doing it. Um, and then I think they, you know, the way the D coordinator had, had set up their defense and, you know, the, the linebacker spot is a pretty premium uh, uh, position in Joe Barry's defense. So I think they, they've kind of discovered that, you know, should Aaron Rodgers go down, we do have to play a, a young quarterback. We really got to have weapons on defense. We got to have a stout, stout defense to help a young quarterback out. And I also believe that you know when when you looked at the running numbers the last several years, especially when they thought they had some pretty decent players on defense, the the stats didn't prove out that, especially in the run game. Uh, very good against the pass, and, and I think that they'll continue that that trajectory. Uh, but. The, 
I think for them to make the next step as a defensive, they have to um, they have to be better on first down. They got There's got to be more four, you know second and eights, second and sevens versus uh, what they've seen in the past. And when you're giving up four yards of carry, you know now you're second and six. That changes the playbook a little bit and it changes the way that you can play defense because now you got to be on your heels a little bit more and uh, you got to be ready because at second and six there's more. There's more. The playbook opens up, and there's more things that you have to think about, and it changes your personnel grouping too. You know, when you're second and eight versus second and, and three, the personnel groupings you may not be able to get the personnel groupings that you really want in that situation out in the field. So, it could be uh, uh, for me. I think it was just a concerted effort that you know what it's now to, to bolster this area, especially uh, in the core of the defense, because they got the secondary. They, they got the edge rushers or edge rusher, uh, and now they, they need to, to, to build up the middle part of that defense. And I think uh, I think they did a nice job with it so far. We'll see. I want to switch back to the offensive side of the football for a second. Uh, and a guy that uh, maybe had his best game as a pro on Thursday in Amari Rogers, 17 rushing yards, 39 receiving yards, looked the part, kind of has been written off all offseason with all the additions in the wide receiver room. I said earlier, Eric, I, I see some Ty Montgomery to his game with where the Packers can line him up. Do you think, have you seen enough from him that maybe he could be a real contributor this season? Oh, for sure. You know, last year was kind of like a JV year for him, right? Or a redshirt year. I, I think there was, um, you know, one of the things they said about him was he was pro-ready. You know, he came from, he's got good bloodlines. He came from a really strong uh, program and, and looked you know, it was kind of a team leader. And then last year just kind of faded away. And that's, you know, again, that can sometimes happen. Everybody talks about, you know, Devontae Adams, but nobody remembers his first and second year and everybody's ready to run him out of town. Um, it wasn't until his third and fourth year where he, he developed into a decent receiver. And there's a lot that is different in the NFL when you're trying to be a really good receiver just being able to run and, th- and catch is, is, is only a small fraction of it. You have to be able to understand coverages and you have to be able to understand um, play changes. It isn't just the physicality of it. It's, it. it's especially at that position where they're asking him to do a lot, you know, play in that flanker role and be able to do jet sweeps and orbit sweeps and all different kinds of motions and stay in and block and then go off or pass. There's a lot there. Um, but he has the body type that I think that they're looking for in that particular role. And I think they were looking for that person to be able to, again, do the jet sweeps, be able to do end arounds, being able to, you know, and also when he typewriters across to be able to take out the backside outside linebacker who's crashing down the line of scrimmage on the floor away. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that that guy's got to know what to do. And it looks, he looks comfortable in it. And he looks like he's not, like the game isn't too big for him anymore. Now he can let his, his physical attributes take over and be able to uh, do the things that he wants to be able to do. And I think for LeFleur's offense, I mean, I look for uh, their offense to look a little bit more um, like the San Francisco 49ers did last year uh, than the Rams, right? I, I, I don't think it's going to be a big, deep vertical game. I think it's going to be the, the big plays are going to come off play action pass when you got a safety that took a wrong step and now you got a wide receiver running free. Um, those kind of things I think is what the offense is going to look like and probably a little bit more different than um, they had in the past. And I think this guy's going to play a decent sized role in it for sure. Something uh, fantasy football players would probably love to know, Eric. Last thing I want to ask you, how do you see the ball distribution in this offense going? Is it going to be Alan Lazard and everybody else? 
Or I, I think my feeling is that it's going to be a different guy every week as the season goes along. How do you feel about where the ball's going to go in the passing game? Because somebody's got to catch all these passes from Rodgers. Right. And I, I think that's a, that's a really great question. And I would look to the last two seasons um, when, when, when Adams was not on the field, um, the Packers were 7-0. and A lot of people don't really think about that as much. And you know what? The, in those games, the ball, like just think of like um, Arizona last year. I think it's going to get spread out across the board. You're going to the tight end, running backs are going to see probably a heightened um, amount of uh, receptions out of the backfield, uh, or they're going to go in motion and line up as a wide receiver. You saw a little bit of that against Kansas City. Um but they're ba- if you just look at just their basic offense, which the preseason is, I mean, that's their bread and butter. That's their, you know, real thin veneer offense. Uh, that was the balls are going to go where the balls need to go to, and it depends on on what happens on the on the defense, who they're going to try and take away. I think for uh, opposing D coordinators, it's going to make it a little bit of a different game because you can't. You can't just put two receivers or two D-backs over, you know, Devontae Adams and play zone on the other side. I mean, that's going to be different. Um, and you're going to have to be um, really sound, I think, both on play side and back side because I think the ball is going to go everywhere. I don't think there's going to be one guy that gets 10 catches or 15 targets every single week. I don't think that's, that's the case. I think, you know, I think you're going to see um, – you know, probably one, at the beginning, probably one of the running backs are going to get 10 targets. You know, I would, Aaron Jones could be the guy in the first half of the season that gets most of the targets. Um, do I think it's all going to be Alan Lazard? No, I, I think your ball is going to get spread around quite a bit more than what we've come accustomed to the last three or four seasons. Awesome stuff. Eric, really appreciate the time. Uh, first, enjoy your last free Sunday uh, of the fall, as I'm sure many of us also will. And we'll talk again next Monday. Oh, enjoy it. to be sitting around with anticipation, waiting, waiting for another NFL. I mean, isn't this great? High school's going. Next weekend, we get full onslaught of college football. And then the week after that, football. I mean, it, this is the best time of the year. I don't care about what everybody says about Christmas. This is, this is <laughs> Christmas right here, man. This is awesome. Awesome. Appreciate it, Eric. So, yeah, enjoy your week. Thanks a lot for having me on. There he is. Eric Baranchek at Eric B-A-R-A-N-C-Z-Y-K-1 on Twitter. Football analyst for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. 877-867-1670. Could take your calls coming up. A lot more to get to today. He mentioned college football. There's a little bit to get to there. Uh, I said I would discuss some injury news in the Wisconsin building. We'll do that next as well as so much. Packers roster, uh, the Brewers... Haven't touched on them nearly enough today. We'll get to that coming up. A lot more coming up. It's the Bill Michaels Show. He's Grant Bills. I'm Ben Kenny. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back. It is the Bill Michaels Show. I'm Ben Kenny. He's Grant Bills. He is at Wisco Grant on Twitter. If you want to join the conversation, I am at Ben Z Kenny. Bill is back tomorrow. 
877-867-1670. If you want to get a hold of the show, do it. A lot of Packers chatter today. Still kind of the Monday after the preseason concluded. We're getting the roster cuts today and tomorrow. Only one thus far, Ty Summers, was released, uh, I think, yesterday. We will get many more as they get down to 53 by 3 o'clock Central tomorrow. So after Bill's show concludes, real quick, some some injury news. Uh, Not good injury news. First reported by Dario Melendez. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers backup quarterback, Chase Wolf, went down with injury last week. He is out indefinitely. There is some chatter that it could be season ending. So, uh, Grant, not Packers related, not good news at all, not season defining news, though. My first reaction was if Graham Mertz goes down, right? Like we talk a lot about Jordan Love, what he means. If Rodgers goes down, maybe he could go win a couple games. If Graham Mertz goes down, I think the Badgers could be flirting with bowl eligibility. I was going to say, that seems pretty season-defining. Well, If Mertz gets hurt, which is an if. I mean, it was already going to be bad if he went down, right? Well, not to be a jerk, that was going to be my next question. Was Chase Wolf, like, was he, I mean, he's a backup, but is that a backup that we're super gung-ho about? This is a question you're much more equipped to answer, obviously, than me. No, not gung-ho. However, okay. <laughs> more it, the thing is in that room right now, you have Deacon Hill, who is a redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore. Uh, he is a, a very strong arm, but he's unrefined. He's not close, at, at least in my opinion, to the point where he can go and win games against tough Big Ten teams. And then behind him is Miles Burkett. He's a true freshman. Chase Wolf at least is a senior and has played a good amount of football and can manage. Like last year, we saw him out there struggle against Michigan, one of the best defenses in the country. So I, I'll give him some sort of benefit of the doubt, given what that defense really was able to do against everybody. So I, it's one of those deals where when they face Purdue and, I, I don't know, Northwestern, if Wolf is in there, I feel a lot better than if Deacon Hill is in terms of the win and loss there. But in terms of winning the West and winning the Big Ten, I mean, if Graham Mertz goes down, I think that goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Can I just agree with you and not, I think you, I think you nailed it. I saw a lot of Badgers fans today tweeting about how Deacon has a big arm though. Big arm. I don't know what that means. Yeah. A lot of Badger fans talking about it. I mean, <laughs> we've known that for a bit. I, he's a year away, at least two years away. Uh, and all of this kind of speaks to the, job or lack thereof Wisconsin has done it bolstering that position uh especially moving forward they don't have a guy in 2023 uh and Burkett was uh, a lot of the quarterbacks they've gotten after Mertz were towards the bottom of who they were targeting so little bit cause for concern though the portal exists so I th- um, that's the news uh, out, out of Wisconsin camp there's also a depth chart uh but maybe it's a little more nerd stuff about who's filling in as the backup Nickelback can can we apply a uh a classic NFL fan base conversation. It's a conversation we always have when we go stir crazy with a quarterback for 10 years or so. Do we need to bring in a veteran backup? Obviously (laughs) not through free agency as we do, but perhaps the transfer portal. Should we, who's the chase Daniel of college football? Can we find him? (laughs) Uh, I think his name is Max Johnson. He was at LSU. I think he then went to Texas A&M. There are guys out there. 
Uh, no, I think that time is coming gone. I wanted them to bring some competition in in the offseason uh, for Mertz. And then if Mertz wins, it means he's, you know, reached some point of success. If he doesn't, then hopefully the guy that came in can do well. College, the dynamic is so tough, though, right? Because will a guy transfer to Wisconsin if he knows that Mertz has an inside track of the job? Uh, a a non-Caleb Williams, because if he had come, it's his job. Uh, so the dynamics are tough, but no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if whatever veteran backup, if you will, would do enough to bring this team to the level they are at with Mertz, a quarterback. And that's coming from a guy that normally is a little bit lower on him than others, right? Like I, I could see a scenario where he comes out and lights the world on fire and is great this year. I could also yeah, see too. it just going as it's gone the last couple of years. I lean more towards the latter until I see the former happen. But I, you do have to also acknowledge that the drop-off at that position is more significant. It's kind of like Rodgers to love last year, in a way. Uh, even though love, sure. even though they kept it close with Kansas City, that was all the defense. And then Love I, didn't look great against Detroit. Like You knew that drop-off, if Love started games for last year's Packers team, they probably weren't going to win the games. And that's where we're at with Wisconsin. That's tough. I just... How does backup quarterback even work in college? Like, you're never supposed to have a good backup. If your backup is good, that backup's going to try to go somewhere else. You know, so it's it's a completely different concept than we talk about in the NFL. Like, I'm trying to take an NFL conversation of, we need a veteran backup, because that's what everybody says. I'm trying to apply that to college, but it doesn't really apply. Like, unless you're in Alabama or in Ohio State, where you have a four- or five-star recruit who's a freshman, you know, waiting to take over, backup quarterback is always going to suck. Especially in the Big Ten when, you know, I'm not saying all the starting quarterbacks suck, but, you know, they tend to be limited. You know, you're Spencer Petrus or Petrus of the world. And I loved, by the way, seeing people joking about Martinez still playing at Nebraska. Casey Martinez. <laughs> say, yeah, Mart- this Martinez guy, he looks great. This is the year where it's going to pop. Oh, That's really funny. Man, he is. I Speaking of quarterbacks in the Big Ten West for a second, I think they're better than people realize. At least I was impressed by what Ryan Halinski of Northwestern showed on Saturday and what Tommy DeVito of Illinois showed as well, albeit it was against a not great Wyoming team. But uh, Petrus is still down there. I think the depth in the division is a lot better than it's been uh, because we've seen some bad Northwestern and Illinois quarterbacks over the last couple of years. Um, But uh, Casey, I almost called him Casey Martinez, Casey Thompson, the transfer from Texas at Nebraska, there is not a more perfect guy to step into that building and be the the next Martinez, quote-unquote, if you will, because he has these boom, amazing plays. He's really talented. He made that scramble play down the field to one of his receivers near the sideline, and then just some inexplicable mistakes. Uh, I I think he'll be better than Adrian Martinez was last year. Uh, I don't know if all those mistakes were on him, but... He definitely knows how to lose a game like Nebraska knows how to lose a game. And he did a terrific job. To the right place then. And I love that. I've this weekend turned me into a, a bigger college football fan than I was previously because watching Northwestern and Nebraska, I thought, you know what? These two teams really aren't going to be players in the grand scheme of things, probably contending for a big 10 championship or a college football playoff, but they are hilarious. And this is entertaining. And I think that's the part of college football that I really need to embrace. And I, and I haven't embraced yet. So I think this might be the year. 
Oh, that's the whole point of it, especially the Big Ten West. We know Wisconsin and all those teams aren't going to go win a national title. Even if they somehow beat Ohio State, then you're just faced with Alabama and Georgia, and we know how that's going to go. We saw it with Michigan last year. And Michigan, I mean, was better last year than Wisconsin's been in uh, a long time, really. Uh, That's depressing. Offensively especially. So, uh, yeah, that's the whole point of of college football is that chaos. I had so much fun watching that football game. It was the perfect introduction to what should be a crazy season, right? Because after this year, there's so many changes happening where USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten. The Big Ten will probably get rid of divisions going forward all this movement, this is kind of the last year where it will all be as it's been for, what, the last seven, eight, nine years since the Big Ten started divisions, since some of that later movement uh, in terms of conferences. So I I could not have thought of a better introduction. Uh, Northwestern, they just, they did what Northwestern does. They are really good at not losing the game and waiting for you to just completely melt down. And that is exactly what Nebraska did. Uh, and if you look at it from a Wisconsin point of view, I mean, if the Badgers go to play Nebraska away November 19th and Frost is gone, the team is a complete disaster, that makes that back end of the schedule look a lot better. So I, I came away both happy from a Wisconsin sense, sad because my brand is kind of that Nebraska's good, uh, but also just thoroughly uh, entertained. I, I think you can just keep using these games to, like, creatively structure your brand oh i know this isn't bad for your brand like double down triple down that's great for your brand they keep doing what they're doing and you can just use that that's ammo it was also perfect uh you can draw whatever parallels you want frost talked about how the offensive linemen throw up all the time in practice which doesn't sound healthy and then during the game while nebraska was melting down and frost was calling onside kicks when he shouldn't have the stadium ended up giving away free beer to everybody because their yeah. internet went down. So draw whatever conclusions uh, you want there. But this, And I heard when the beer ran out, then all the Nebraska fans went to gin and tonics just to soothe away all the sorrows. I feel kind of bad for them. I don't. Are we going to talk more about Nebraska or do I need to get all my Nebraska takes off right now? Because I, I have a take. Um, Let's do that coming up next. Okay. We have to step it. away. Uh, Nebraska lost to Northwestern in hilarious fashion. Uh, We'll get back in the NFL. We'll get back into Packers roster stuff. We'll hit on the Brewers, but yeah, let's, uh, let's talk big 10 West next. Let's talk about what happened on Saturday. I hope everybody got the chance to watch because it was awesome. If you didn't, we have four more months of it uh, watching Nebraska meltdown and watching Northwestern just weirdly run their way to a a non-deserved win. We're going to hit on that next. I'm Ben Kenny. He is Grant Bills. In for Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right. Welcome back in. It's the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Grant Bills. Grant, I'm going to toss you a layup here. Okay. So we're talking Nebraska Northwestern uh, in Dublin. Hilarious football game. Northwestern wins 31 to 28. Uh, total box score. I mean, it looked pretty even. 
Northwestern at 528 yards, giving it up to that offense is pretty deplorable. They rushed for 214 yards. Nebraska, in classic fashion, three turnovers, uh, two interceptions, one fumble, lost. Nebraska is 1-9, dating back to last season. In its last 10 games, the point differential of those contests, Grant, minus two. Since the start of 2021, the Nebraska Cornhuskers are 3-10 with a plus 60 point differential. Say that again. They have won three. They have lost 10. The score differential in their three wins, plus 119. The score differential in their 10 losses, minus 59. They lose by an average of five points. And uh, it's funny because every year you convince yourself, kind of like the Packers and special teams or maybe the Brewers in the first round of the playoffs, like every year you convince yourself that... Like these things are true, but maybe this will be like, maybe things will change. We're kind of doing it with Graham Mertz in my opinion, but then they go out and, and they lose 31 to 28 to a a not good Northwestern team. Not, not terrible, but not good by any means. And I, I just sat back and say, like, I can't be surprised by that. Like it's ridiculous. It happens a different way every time, but it, it makes so much sense. And it is hilarious. Is it just that Nebraska isn't as good, right? Like, it's with the Vikings last year. Losing all these one-score games and bad luck. And it, if it happens for long enough, should we just start to believe, okay, they are who they should be. They're losing more games than they're winning because they're just not as good as some of these other programs. And that's the reality. Now, the numbers are crazy, and it seems like they should be winning these games, but should they be? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm asking? Yes, I think it isn't a, are they not? I think it's a lack of refinement more than anything where when we see Wisconsin lose, right? Like we see them lose. Did they deserve to go beat Minnesota last year? Even though it was close? No, they didn't play a good football game. They couldn't run the ball. Same with the Michigan game. Same with the Notre Dame game. Even though they lost in weird fashion to Penn State, they handed the ball away in the red zone multiple times when Wisconsin loses, right? Like you could get a sense of why they lost Uh, for Nebraska. It's just a lack of refinement in really easy areas, special teams fumbling at the 50 yard line with two minutes left, throwing just the stupidest of interceptions, Scott Frost calling a freaking onside kick up 11 when all he needed to do was kick the ball down and Northwestern would not drive the field. So, well, I don't think it's a lack of being good creative offensively that's another reason throw that on the pile yeah we're just trying to find the guy who did this yeah exactly when it's his offense yeah in a way so is is it a scott frost thing is the lack of refinement a reflection of the head coach do you think oh no doubt i mean again he called an onside kick right after they had scored to make it an 11 point game i think his team somewhat believes when they're up they just think oh we can't blow this lead and when you start yeah. to think that way, that's when you blow leads, right? Like when you start to, yeah. when you see it happen over and over and over again, then it's just the, it's the truth. And that, I feel like it's a subconscious beliefs that uh, belief that probably seeps in. I don't know how did I could you, connect it to the Packers, but there's something there. Did you see uh Brett McMurphy's tweet this morning? I saved it because it made me laugh. No. I thought of you. He tweeted in Scott Frost's fifth year at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Frost has lost 30 games. Bo Pelini, in seven years, only had 27 losses. Pelini also won 67 games. Frost has won 15. <laughs> it's like, what? 
this dude just woke up and just chose to go after Scott Frost this morning. Super funny. You know what? I think I can connect this back to Wisconsin. You know the whole sense uh, throughout every offseason of why can't we demand more from this team and this program and why can't they go you know, compete for national yeah. titles? I think Nebraska is a good case study as to why, uh, at least a partial case study, as to why maybe 10-4 and four every year isn't as bad as you think it is. Because Pelini, uh, throughout his tenure, 9 wins, 10 wins, 10, 9, 10 again, and then 9 twice. At the end of that other 9-3 and three season, they decided, you know, 9-3 and three is not good enough. Uh, since that point, that was 2014, they have had one winning season. Scott Frost in his tenure is five and seven, three and five, three and nine, and now zero and one. Where you know going winning ten games more often than not is not as bad as everyone thinks it is. Yes, Ben. Yes. Okay. So what you just said throws me a lob right at the rim for what I. This is like one of the specific things I wrote down to tell you about Nebraska because I'm I'm no college football expert here, but I, I think I can sum up this Nebraska team in words that even a casual like me can understand whether it be joining the Big Ten or moving from Bo Pelini to Scott Frost because they thought they could do better. We can do better. We can achieve more. Nebraska is that friend in your friend group who gets a very nice girlfriend. She's very pretty, and he's got a good thing going, but the dude just always <laughs> thinks he can do better. Like He's scrolling Instagram like, man, there's so many hot girls out there. He goes to the bar when his girlfriend is out of town. You're like, man, look at all these hot chicks. I could do better. It's like, no, dude, you can't. You're five nine, and your hair isn't great, and you're funny. Don't get me wrong, but even humor has limits. You're not that good looking. You're not athletic. You're jo- like you're a, you're an accountant, makes good money, but you, it's not like your job is wild and exciting, and you're rich. It's like, dude, you, you should settle when you have a good thing. Embrace that good thing because you can't do better. And he's always chasing better, and that seems to be Nebraska for me. It's like they are. They are always aiming for something that I don't think they can get to. And that process of watching them trying to get there is so funny. And now they're kind of scrolling hinge and going yeah. with whatever they can. Uh, I don't know the best way to put it, but I'd, whatever they can find. But then uh, they are still single. Are they to the point where they would possibly send a drunk text at two in the morning to Bo Pelini? <laughs> you up? Would they would they be doing that? Maybe like, man, we I'd like to try that again. Maybe go back to that. Only after October 1st when Scott Frost buyout drops in half from 15 million to seven and a half. Are you surprised at how the Scott Frost tenure is gone? Because when he got hired, I'm like, man, Big Ten is stacked with all these great coaches. I'm so excited. You know, Chris Fitzgerald, Harbaugh was newer at Michigan at the time. And like, I just like, wow, there's so much coaching talent coming into the Big Ten. And it just never has really worked with Scott Frost. And I thought it would. Maybe not national titles, but I thought they'd be better than this. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, he came from that undefeated UCF season. And uh, I don't know whether to feel bad because he's made millions and millions of dollars and is, you know, was one of the greatest players in the history of their program. I do kind of feel bad at how it's just gone completely off every rail. And Nebraska fans will remember him more for this, I feel like, than his prowess playing I, I am generally surprised, and I, I think the biggest thing is the recruiting has gone down a lot, and he's gone to try to fix the roster and the portal and all that stuff, but it clearly is not really... Like, their entire wide receiver room are transfer guys. Uh, Casey Thompson from Texas transfer. Tried to rebuild the defensive line in the portal. 
And the offense, yeah, it looked explosive. It looked good. But there's always something that's wrong, whether it's the special teams or the defensive line. Uh, so I, I am surprised he hasn't just gotten them playing competent football. It's, it's the sheer incompetence that, that gets to me. Not just losing to better teams. Like, they play well against better teams, but then they are yeah. just utterly incompetent. Yeah, they play up to their competition. They play down to their competition. I mean, look, we joke about Northwestern, but give Northwestern some damn credit. Like, they just find a way. I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but if, if every team in the Big Ten West could do what Northwestern does, then they would. Right. It's not just about like mucking up a game and running the ball like they just have something about them. And I, I, I can't describe it. And it's it's something that a bunch of teams in the Big Ten West would love to be able to do and can't. Nebraska yeah. included. Pat Fitzgerald with uh, the resources or lack thereof and academic standards at that school still remains one of the more impressive coaches in the country, even with the down years. Uh, even year Northwestern, I guess, might be back in a way. 877-867-1670. You mentioned the thing about the friend and, and the dating. I have a way to look at how the Brewers stand right now. And it's along similar lines. And we're going to get to it coming up here in about six or seven minutes because it was an interesting weekend. Friday set a downtone. They came back with two wins. But uh, where are we at now on the Brewers? And how can we make sense of them finally beating a bad team? We'll get into that next. It's Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Ready? This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, in Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens. The Packers holding the final two practices before the team needs to reduce the roster to 53 players by 3 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, Central Time. Matt LaFleur on the overall mood around the facility today. I think they understand what's at stake. Certainly, it's your least fun time of the year, anytime you have to make some of those decisions. But there's also a lot of opportunity because you're not talking about just the 53. You're talking about 16 practice squad players, too. So, you know, you don't have to make quite as much movement as you had to, you know, a few years back. Tight end Robert Tunyon coming back from that torn ACL, able to take some reps during team drills for the first time yesterday. And rookie wide receiver Christian Watson recovering from knee surgery in June, talking about having to spend most of his first NFL training camp on the sidelines. You know, I think I made a, you know, a good use of the time uh, that I was out with. You know, I, I feel like I took steps forward instead of taking steps back, not being out there. And I mean, I, you know, I, I have a pretty good grasp of the playbook. You know, I think I've, I think I've, you know, been doing well. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a few things that you kind of, you just got to learn on the fly, and you got, you, you got to really be out there to, um, to do, just because obviously, you know, there's a lot of different variables when you're out there. You know, you know, obviously, coverages. Um, you know, the defense in general and, you know, obviously, you know, checks and, and, you know, if Aaron wants to change the play. So, I mean, just being out there is, is huge for me, you know, being on the same page with him and, and the rest of the wideouts. And veteran Randall Cobb says he knows he's not your top fantasy football pick, but 12 years in the league means something to the team and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about, right? I mean, everybody, that's all everybody ever pays attention to is the statistics. They don't really pay attention to the meaning that you could have in helping other people get open and all those kind of Thing. So that, that's one statistic that shows uh, the trust that I've been able to build with him and his comfort uh, to come to me in critical situations. That's Randall Cobb in Green Bay. I'm Mike Clemens on the Bill Michaels Show.
Welcome back. That is Mike Clemens. All of his appearances on this show brought to you by the Bay Motel in Green Bay. BayMotelGreenBay.com. Grant, coming up next, Milwaukee Brewers. You were there uh, yesterday. Uh, There's also something that I was faced with on vacation last week. And I want to bring it to the public forum. Uh, So a lot to get to coming up in the next couple hours. Um, The Brewers win two out of three. Friday was tough. Then they call up Mitchell. Rosenthal goes on the IL. There's a lot to make of it. They're six back of the Cardinals, but they're only one and a half back of the wild card. Could this have been a turning point? I mean, you get hot to stay hot. So they say, Ben Kenny, they've won two of their last two. If you put it that way, I guess (laughs) when you put it that way, we're going to get to it next. (laughs) Brewers chatter on the way. Packers roster, a lot more to come. Two hours down, two hours yet to go. Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. The Bill Michaels Show podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.